Hello again, this is Chandra Dasa with the Buddha Center podcast. Lovely to have you with us to listen to stories from around the world in our Buddhist community, what it means to be a Buddhist, trying to put all that into practice in the modern world, particularly as the pandemic continues. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you've been engaged with all the voices you've heard throughout the past couple of years, please let your friends know. It really helps. The world is awash with podcasts, many of which are fantastic. We've been going for years. Please let people know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts, you know how to do that because you're listening to this. Today, we're going to be talking with our friends at Future Dharma who are going through a big renewal with their team, a renewal of vision and a renewal of inspiration. A really great conversation about what matters most in life and how to set up the conditions for that to come into being in the future, which of course does not happen on its own. So we'll be hearing all the love and commitment that goes into their work. And thanks for being here to take part. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Here's Future Dharma. So welcome. We're with the Future Dharma team, one of my favorite teams in Sri Ratna. People I've worked with, some people I've worked with for quite a long time, some people who are quite new, I haven't worked with very much. And Future Dharma, if you don't know, is an organization as part of our community. That I suppose if I was to really pin it down, I think that they are responsible for holding the future of our community as a myth, as a lived ideal, a vision of a group of people who want to change the world and live differently. They're doing all of that and a lot more. Fundraising is their kind of ostensible job, but that doesn't really seem nearly deep enough as a description of what the Future Dharma team does. So we thought it'd be great today to say hello to them, for you to meet the new Future Dharma team. who are going to be picking up this great vision of a Dharmic future for the world and why it makes a difference to live a Buddhist life. Very happy to have you all here, or at least some of you here. Your team's becoming enormous, I think, a bit like our own team. But I'm very happy today to have Liz, Dana Utah and Amala Vadra from Future Dharma. I will say hello to them in a second, but first I just want to greet Sadaya Sihi, my sort of colleague in mischief for this podcast for some of the last 18 months or so. Lovely to have you back with us, Sadaya Sihi. Thanks, Chandradasa. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to be here for this conversation in particular. I've worked with Liz and Amla Vadra. We had great fun last year working together for International Sangha Day Online. And I'm really happy that I also got ordained with Dana Utah. So it's lovely to share an online space with you as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, I guess, particularly because I'm aware Future Dharma Fund are a largely online team. So like our team, Dharma Chakra team, it's just great to be able to yeah hear how your experiences of working in this way are. And I'm also a Future Dharma Fund supporter. So full disclosure there. <laughs> yeah, it's great just to be able to hear a bit more about your work and on why you do what you do. Yeah, that's good. Actually, I'd forgotten the disclosure. I suppose I should say I'm a Future Dharma supporter too, a proud one. And if you're listening to this, well, you could be too. That's one of the things we're hoping we'll take away, that you'll feel so inspired by this conversation that you'll see the point in investing not in an institution, but really in people who are giving their lives to generosity as a practice, as an exemplification for the world. And goodness knows the world really needs it right now. I'm sure that's going to come back as a theme. Since you started with Dana Utah, hi Dana Utah, welcome to the podcast. And we should say for eagle-eyed or eagle-eared, can you have eagle ears? For eagle-eared listeners, Dana Utah is an old friend of the podcast. She's been a guest before. Yeah, very, very nice to be here with all of you. Nice to be here with some of the Future Dharma Fund team. And nice to be here with you, Sihi and Chandra Dasa. And welcome to, to Liz. Liz, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I can't remember if you've appeared on this podcast before, but feeling you might have. 
you can tell me either way. <laughs> no, actually, I haven't. I haven't appeared on a podcast before, but I love them and I always listen to them. So maybe I've just kind of seeped through into the infrastructure of your podcast. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm very happy to be here today. I think Zoom might have just colonized my mind at this point. It's like a, a sort of continuous dream of people appearing on my screen. But lovely to have you with us. And last but definitely not least, someone who has been on the podcast a number of times. He's like one of the alumni of the podcast. We've had conversations together in England, in India, and now I suppose in the Cyber Loka. Welcome to Amal Vatra, one of the leading lights and visionaries behind Future Dramas team. Thank you, Chandrasa. Lovely to be here on a podcast. I listened to a lot. Great to be on one. So you were interested as a team at Dharma Chakra at the Buddhist Centre Online to have you guys on for a while. We've been trying to have this conversation about, well, as Sadaisi said, what's it like to work in this brave new world of international teams connected through the web? But I suppose more deeply, you have a right livelihood team, a Buddhist right livelihood team. Might be good to hear a bit about what that currently looks like at Future Dharma. And I'm particularly aware that your team has renewed a lot through the pandemic and presumably will continue to. So it'd be really good to hear a sense from you as well, What's the state of play with Future Dharma as a visionary experience for each of you? What is it you're doing? You've all decided to work for this worldwide team. Why is this what you want to do with your work in life? I think for me, working with Future Dharma feels like a real sort of culmination of my working life to date. I started out my career working in the city in investment banking. And whilst I was working in investment banking, I came across Sri Ratna. I was very, very inspired and very much wanted to work for a Buddhist outfit. And one of the joys of working with Future Dharma is that I get to use my transferable skills. <laughs> well, that's one way to put it, I guess. My background in finance and have it really integrated with my Buddhist practice. Future Dharma was launched the year Sadayasihi and I got ordained. And I sort of feel like the growth of Future Dharma, the birth of Future Dharma is quite intertwined with my own order life. And in between times, you've been part of a teaching team at the London Buddhist Centre, one of our big successful Buddhist centres in Britain. But I guess with that background with money, Future Dharma's probably been there in the background of your, your psyche all these years. Why make the move now? What is it took you in a way from a role that you know is directly involved with passing on the Dharma, which I'm sure you're still connected to at the LBC, but why step fully back into relationship with money and Buddhism, which for some people listening might be a bit of an odd combination? Oh, that's a good question. I think I always wanted to work for Future Dharma Fund. I remember being at the launch of Future Dharma Fund and hearing that Viryanaga, who was also ordained that year, had got this role at Future Dharma Fund. And I really was slightly jealous, actually. I just thought, like, I could do that job. I could do that job. And Viryanaga is also a friend, and he was also at the London Buddhist Centre at that time. So in a way, you could say I always wanted to work for Future Dharma Fund. I mean, the great thing is I, I still live very, very close by to the London Buddhist Centre. So I'm still very much involved there. It's a bit like a, a dream life where I can, end the day, use my skills, do something that's really, really interesting, be connected and feel connected to a worldwide movement. And then in my spare time, in the evenings, at lunch times, at the weekends, be at the London Buddhist Centre. I really do feel like I'm living a full Dharma life. Fantastic. A full Dharma life is in a way what we're interested in exploring on this podcast. And it's always been so moving, particularly in the last pandemic months, 20 months, whatever it is now, just hearing these stories from people around the world, responding in a way to the impact of COVID and the upheaval that it represents in their own lives and responding in line with the Buddhist values. 
Actually, that brings me to you, Amal Vatra. We've had lots of conversations over the years, long ago, even way beyond the launch of Future Dharma, about why you do what you do. And it'd be great to hear a little recap of your own story about money and the Dharma. But I know that you've had COVID yourself in the last couple of years. And I'm really interested in why you keep going. What is it you want to do now with your commitment to this particular project? And maybe even how it's changed from when you launched it all way back in the day. I'm just sitting here next to my painting, my tanker of Green Tara. Green Tara is a direct manifestation in female form of compassion, of the forces of compassion in the universe. She's represented in all the pictures as a beautiful young woman with the unusual feature of having green skin. (laughs) I say skin, actually, in a way she's made more of light. And Amitabha sits in her crown. So Amitabha is the Buddha of infinite love. So she's very much associated with love compassion. She's one of the most popular bodhisattvas in Tibet, for example, because it's said that whatever trouble you're in, if you call for Tara's help, she'll always come. She's the figure that I've been meditating on for, well, as long as I've been in the order, which is about 16 years. So she's a real inspiration to me. I'm remembering an experience I had years and years ago when I was at Glastonbury Festival. By that stage, I had already left the city, where I was also an investment banker and very interested in money. I mean, I'd always been fascinated by money. I studied economics. At Cambridge, I went into investment banking. Even before that, I'd been investing on the stock market as a kid and that sort of thing. I'd always been very interested in being rich. And anyway, thanks actually to London Buddhist Centre and a lot of the amazing people around there and also Karen R Trust, I made a decisive break from just making a load of money for myself and left JP Morgan. But yeah, I was at Glastonbury Festival and I'm going to confess on air that I had taken some MDMA, which if you don't know is the active ingredient in ecstasy. So it's really kind of a quite a heart-opening drug. And I was watching the Chemical Brothers perform. I guess most of your listeners know them, but they were a big, big band. Certainly very big in the 90s, and they were still performing at this point at Glastonbury. So you had this whole crowd of people dancing. I don't know how many tens of thousands of us there were, but there was the Chemical Brothers up on stage. But the way they perform is you don't see them. They just have these big LED screens with these kind of electronic matchstick men or women dancing. And basically, I realized what we're doing is we're kind of worshipping these LED screens. That's what's happening. We've got this amazing music powerful music and we're dancing but we're not facing each other we're facing these led screens and i realized oh we're worshiping these led screens and then i had a thought while i was there in that moment i thought oh this isn't going to work this isn't going to work worshiping these led screens and these pop stars who by the way were in the dark they didn't show themselves it's not going to do what we're all hoping it's not going to actually change our lives it's not going to make us happy we're happy in this moment but it's not going to work and then i had this very strong in a way, vision, like I can't be sure it was definitely visual, but it was certainly a very strong sense of Green Tara. And she was saying to me, well, that's where you come in. <laughs> that's where you come in. And I'm thinking, but hold on, you're Green Tara, you can do anything. And she's like, no, I'm not in this realm. I'm not in this physical realm that you're in. That's where you come in. You're the one. You have to help. <laughs> you know, If you want to offer these people something, you have to do it. So that was a very powerful experience that, yeah, I guess it's still affecting me. I don't think, it's not like I think about it all the time, but when I was sitting here just now with you and I saw this painting, I thought, oh, that's what I'd like to talk about. That's, I think, what drives me to work for Future Dharma. You know, I think we've got something really precious in Tree Ratna. We've got the Tree Ratna. We've got the three jewels. <laughs> we've got the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. We've got something really precious to share with the world. It's obviously changed our lives. That's why we're here. That's why some of us have got these Sanskrit names. and. God, people out there, of course, if they knew about it, not everyone, but loads more people out there, if they knew about the Dharma, 
they would benefit too. So that's my inspiration. And of course, money, the connection with money is that money is so often the block to offering classes, offering retreats, running services like the Buddhist Center Online and Free Buddhist Audio. You know, money is so often the block. And I helped found Future Dharma Fund because I don't want money to be a block anymore. I want there to be loads of money to spread Buddhism anywhere in the world, physically, online, whatever, you know, so that anyone in that crowd, if you like, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, can find what we found. There's no reason it should just be us. Anyone should have the chance to find the Sangha and practice the Dharma. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing still after all these years. I've been fundraising for, I don't know what it is now, 20 years for Buddhist projects. And yeah, despite long COVID, which is now past, thank goodness, this is still what I'm going to do. It's great to hear, Amal Badra, about that kind of lived mythic reality for you. When most people hear about money and fundraising, they don't think about mythology and the lived world where you've really mm. gone to live inside a kind of visionary experience that you had mm. on ecstasy <laughs> a big festival <laughs> which is my favorite bit of the podcast this year i have to say <laughs> which takes us neatly to you liz one of the occasions for this conversation is that we're working together on a, a kind of mini campaign for future drama on the buddhist central online and from our side one of the most exciting things is really to get the best of what they're up to and when we've talked about this in the past stories that story from amala vajra there about how he found his way and dana utah's story about how she found her way to future drama stories are super important to you i know in your work and you have the added responsibility, of course, of telling the stories of future Dharma to the rest of the world. So thanks for coming to do that today. <laughs> How's it going for you to be the kind of storyteller in chief at Future Dharma? Mm. Oh, wow. Sometimes when I get a little bit overwhelmed with work or whatever, I remember that actually my job is just telling stories. And how great is that? How great is that to be able to do that? And I was thinking when the other two were talking about why they wanted to use their financial skills or wanted to do fundraising, I was thinking, actually, that wasn't my motivation at all in joining Future Dharma. I'm not even sure I wanted to be a fundraiser, if I'm really honest, you know. What did I know when I joined back in 2016? I knew, well, I was in a great context. I was in Glasgow, a sangha I love. But one of the things I really enjoyed was those newsreels that used to go out telling stories about our international community. And I was like, I just want to connect more with a wider Tree Ratna community. So that's why I took the job. It landed me at the time in Adastana and, and joined me up with all sorts of people. I continue to meet amazing people in our community. And my job really is telling stories or communicating what these people are doing. The story of this particular podcast is this team is renewing itself, is forming. And we've already heard that in a way, it's not really about money. It's about sharing the thing of most value that people most need, finding an efficient, effective way to do that so that the energy is not blocked or the love is not blocked, the beauty is not blocked. Anyway, I'm quite interested in how that feels as a team. I know you're only part of the team, so maybe you can't speak to the whole of the team, but you're probably carrying a sense of the renewing project of Future Dharma and the team expanding and changing and people's roles changing and the range of what you're attending to as a team. How's that project going collectively as well as individually? I've heard it said that all sorts of aspects of life have changed in a really accelerated fashion as a result of COVID. An obvious one is online shopping and you know, a lot of high street shops closing here in Britain anyway, and then online retailers booming, you know, that people are saying there's been sort of five or 10 years of change happened in a few months. Yeah, there's been quite a big shift for us as well, because I think I still had a vision of a whole gang of people working together in an office in London, or at least us moving towards that. And that's definitely not going to happen now, partly thanks to COVID. But What's really interesting is that I think we are managing to work really effectively as a team, as an online team. 
just like you do on the Buddhist Centre Online. And I think you pioneered that with your global team, especially either side of the Atlantic. I think we're all in the UK. I know we've got one guy in Spain. So we're in the UK and Spain. There's about 10 of us in total. I think we are a real team. You know, we do gather face to face occasionally, but we're working well together and we're also getting to know each other as well in a very real way, even though we rarely see each other face to face. So I think that has been yeah, a real success out of these difficult circumstances. And also others like Liz in particular have had to really shift their work because we mainly used to fundraise at face-to-face events. That's how we mainly raised money, especially big events in the UK at Adistana, you know, our big retreat center, and that all ended. So Liz has really developed our digital fundraising from being quite a small part of our income and therefore money for the Dharma projects to most of it all in about a year. One thought I had about this thing of digital fundraising is that I think one of the opportunities of the pandemic is in some ways the world's gotten smaller and we're much more connected. So one of the really lovely things I think in Future Dharma is that we've been able to really connect sanghas that give with sanghas that benefit. And you get real tangible connection. We've been doing evenings where projects that we fund go to Sangha nights across the UK. And I think also in Australia and in Western Europe. And that's just been a delight, actually, to be able to connect people up in that way, feel like one Sangha. I find this whole area really, really interesting. I guess for me, we're working for Dharma Chakra. It's always been an online team and I live in Ireland and quite a few people on the rest of the team live in the UK and of course Chandra Dasa and Viri Alila are in the US so we're, we're quite spread out and I think it's a thing people often wonder about probably more before COVID than now you know what's that like being part of an online team are you really truly getting a sense of right livelihood if you're not able to share the same spaces with each other what I found really interesting over the last while is that people have stopped questioning that so much. And that's not to say that we think everyone should be online and never see each other <laughs> in person. Because I think actually it is really, really important to be able to meet up again. And I know on our team, we've been really hoping that we'd be able to do that soon. And just with COVID still making it hard for us to meet in person, hopefully that will change. But yeah, working on an online team, for me, part of making it really effective has been about Well, I guess the mythic context and imagination, because, you know, there are things that you can't do. You can't just have a casual conversation with someone over a cup of tea because there's nobody here in this house with me working. But that doesn't mean I can't connect. And, you know, in some ways it means we have to be far more deliberate about how we go about right livelihood. And we have to really work at identifying opportunities for that to come into being. So, you know, doing things like team meetings where we just talk about practice or having practice weeks. Well, even just trying to share bits of our lives together, that's been really, really inspiring. Yeah, that's been really inspiring. So I guess it's just really curious, particularly what you were saying, Amla Vajra, about, you know, originally starting off with, with quite a lot of you working together and now this sort of move towards being in different places. How do you manage that and how do you make sure that it's still a really effective team and people are getting to experience what it means to work closely, intensively with each other? Yeah, I still find it quite inspiring that, in a way, we're quite privileged to be able to work for a Buddhist organization to have enough money to live and actually live comfortably. And, you know, we have the great joy of being able to travel eventually and go to all these beautiful country houses that our community seems to own around the world. And you have a real sense of ownership in them, a real sense of stake in these places that are communal. There's a real relief, actually, in that model where 
there's a community that owns things together. I was just thinking about what you said, Dana Utah, about the communities that give and the communities that benefit. I feel part of the community that benefits as well as someone who's trying to give my own life and work to that community. And it does feel like a privilege. It's not something I feel I could take for granted. And so I see, as you were saying, just the opportunities are there. And I still feel really inspired that we can create teams like you're doing at Future Drama, where you can offer other people that viable opportunity to work and not have to just take a job doing something to make ends meet and then sort of do Buddhism part-time on the side or whatever. It's not something I feel we can take for granted because most people don't have that creative opportunity. And the fact that you're providing one with your team, I think, is a major invisible contribution to True Ratna. It's something I'd want to invest in myself. I'm much more inclined to want to invest in a group of people who are not just holding a vision for the future, but they're giving people tangible opportunities to live and work differently. I think it's amazing. I was just listening to people speak there and just thinking, you know, I'm in the process of training for ordination and how much working with this team is part of that process. And this team is my sangha every bit as much, if not more, even than my local sangha, you know. So this is the context in which I'm meaningfully training to join the order. There's this lovely phrase about weaving your way into the order until you get to the point where you just are an order member, so then you get ordained, right? And that's the way I think about it. This is just an incredible opportunity for me to work with different order members and other mitras training for ordination right around the world and in this team. I really love the fact that our team is growing and it has changed when Amla Vajra and I started out in, well, you've been going longer than I had Amla Vajra at this, but when you gave me the job in 2016, and it was just the two of us rattling around the office, you know, and I think we did really well, but it's not easy to come up with all the goods and the creativity between two souls, essentially. Now we've got this bigger team of such diverse people, all contributing very different things that just has such a different energy and opportunities to be creative as well as people having the skills that, frankly, I don't have. And <laughs> they come and do the bits that I just can't do. So yeah, I just love the fact that our team has changed in that way. Presumably the reason you decided you wanted to join a Buddhist order and dedicate your whole life to that, there is a kind of direct line between that and the reason you decided to join and then stay with Future Drama, even though there's been a journey of trying to figure out why you're doing it. What's the impulse about for you to join a Buddhist order and to make this your main context for training towards it and sort of deepening into the weave? of the order, as you said. Very beautiful image. I'm just really struck by how much we have in common, right across differences of culture and country and all the other differences that we could enumerate. And that's the bit I love. I don't know whether that answers the question, but I think it's incredible that I can WhatsApp somebody and ask them to help me put together a video or a story and they'll respond to me from a completely different time zone and they'll meet me up on Zoom and we'll talk about what's most important to them in their life. And then they'll trust me to edit that and represent them well. And we have this shared understanding of practice and what's important, even though probably great chunks of the rest of our lives are very different. That's what I love about the idea of joining the order. And, you know, I think when we communicate on that level with each other, that's the best of the order, isn't it? You know, when we see that potential in each other, and it doesn't always happen, but that's what I value and that's what I want to join. I'm very grateful to the founders of Karanar Trust. They created a really alive team, an actual residential community as well in North London. People like Priyananda and Jaraja, I mean, there were people earlier than them, like Kulamitra and Virabhadra, who created Karanar Trust in 1980. So that when I came along to Tree Ratna in the late 1990s, 
there was a place to go and work that was meaningful to me. And like Liz, that's where I trained for ordination. So I'm really delighted now that Future Dharma is well established that we can offer that to other people. It's funny, you were saying, Chandra, said, you know, you don't want to take it for granted that you have these opportunities. As you were saying that, I thought, oh dear, I think I do take it for granted that I can fundraise for the Dharma. I don't want to fundraise for dogs. I like dogs, but I don't want to fundraise for them. What's far more important to me is people. <laughs> so I want to do this. So I think I'd rather take it for granted that I've been able to spend my whole adult life, really, so far, doing this. That is a great good fortune. And yes, I'd certainly like to be part of creating more and more opportunities for others. And in fact, that's one of the things we're very keen on funding more of in Future Dharma Fund is new businesses, new teams, new projects that are then going to offer these same opportunities to other people in other parts of the world. Hasn't really happened yet. We haven't had many applications, if any, like that, certainly in terms of businesses. But that would be great to fund more of that. It's interesting to hear you haven't had many applications for new forming teams, but actually Dharma Tracker, the Buddhist Centre Online team, I think when you guys launched, there were probably three or four mm. of us. Now there's 12 oh, or 13 yeah. of us. So you've partly helped fund that. And I suppose that partnership around building viable contexts and living out and exemplifying what it is we mean when we talk about new society or changing the world or you yeah. know, the Dharma actually have a concrete effect on the opportunities people feel they have to live differently or just to take part differently in society. Mm -hmm. Like it's tangible. There's people's jobs and livelihoods have been made possible by this. One of the very inspiring conversations I had recently was talking to Vidya Vardhani and Anam Shur in India. And they're a little mini team of two people. I mean, I'm sure they pull in other order members as well. But they run the Tree Ratna Youth Project out in India. So they travel all across India running workshops for young people and helping them get more involved in living the Dharma life and get more involved in their local community and context. So I think maybe that's why I wanted to say that a bit like what you're saying about Dharma Chakra, in a way, it's not just a future Dharma team. I think future Dharma also enables other teams to form and hopefully those teams enable other teams to form. That's right. And that's how the world changes, right? Bit by bit, human beings recognizing their own privilege and luck in finding the Dharma and then making that conscious and passing it on to other people. And I know that's going to continue to come up as a theme is what you've been giving, passing it on. I suppose one of the things we've all had to deal with across our teams in our community, I guess everybody in the world really, and whatever kind of experience of community they have, is that COVID, the pandemic, etc., it's not a static experience. There have been distinct phases of it, and although we're by no means in a post-pandemic world, something's changing, probably at different rates, different paces in different parts of the world, but we generally seem to be in at least a post-vaccination phase where the opportunities are changing and maybe we've all had a bit of space to absorb and process what's happened to us, what we've been taking part in. Does that affect Future Dharma's sense of what it's about in terms of the big vision? Wanting to help other people change society. You're not doing it in the abstract. You're actually creating opportunities for people with real life money <laughs> to change the world. How has that been shaped, do you think, by the pandemic? Not just in your team where you're now working online and not in an office in London, but even the sense of the vision itself. I think it's quite exciting what's opened up through this obviously very difficult period for everyone, but quite exciting that the innovation that's come out of it. Whole new ways, to give one obvious example, of running retreats where you can have an in-person retreat and at the same time have an online aspect to that retreat. Adistana are running this very successfully. They don't call it hybrid, they call it dual, a dual retreat where all the people who are online are hosted separately they get looked after separately and they meet in separate online groups, but they're benefiting from the same content that's being delivered live in person. 
let's say Vasantra is leading meditations or giving talks. So they call that a dual approach. I think that's really, really exciting. You know, getting much larger numbers on retreats. People essentially attending a retreat at Alistana in the UK who live in Australia or New Zealand. And this is your turf, really, because I know that you've successfully run online retreats as well. So that's just one example. The mass online gatherings we've done, you know, I think that's really exciting. Again, in collaboration with you, International Sangha Day, International Tree Ratna Day, that's never been possible. And if you'd said to anyone two years ago, let's run an international online Tree Ratna Day, they'd say, no, no one wants to sit and look at their computer screen all day long. And no, no, that's not going to work. In fact, I've probably been one of those people. Actually, it does work. People are having really quite profound experiences, whether it's on retreat or attending events like that, whilst being at home. It's a whole new genre. <laughs> so I think that is one of the things that's going to survive. A lot of things we want back, of course. A lot of us want to be back face-to-face with other practitioners, and that will come slowly, I'm sure, more and more. But I think some of those things are going to stay, some of those innovations. I mean, there's many others as well, but just to mention a couple. And at Future Dharma, we definitely want to back that. That's why we call Future Dharma Fund. We want to back the future of the Dharma, the future of the Sangha. And so we're really interested in these innovations that have come out of COVID. Last year, in a way, was simpler to respond to. It felt a real driving need. Let's just get Tree Ratna online so that we can all stay in communication and so we can communicate the Dharma. And well, our projects did some fantastic work there. And yeah, as Amla Bhadra said, we want to keep a lot of that. But it feels like we're in a period now where nobody knows what's going to happen next, like at all. It seems very difficult to plan for the future. Future Dharma does offer that possibility of Getting ourselves as a community into a state where we can respond when we need to, you know, I think that's what I've been thinking around these last few weeks. Whatever unfolds in the next few years, whether that's a return to more online things or the world opening up more, whichever way we go, we want to be in a position where we can respond as an international community. Future Dawn just gives us confidence that we'll be able to do that. That makes sense, having to think more and more in our team of being a platform or a set of channels for whatever is naturally flowing through our community to best express itself or to be exemplified. And that just means constantly being open to the shape of it changing and the pathways moving and shifting their nature. I guess I'm just curious, what have you guys been thinking about might be next? You know, obviously no one really can tell what might happen. And what you were saying there, Liz, was that maybe things will be back online or maybe things will be in person or hybrid. What do you see as the sort of immediate challenges that future Dharma could help address, particularly in relation to the vision of helping spread the Dharma? Definitely within our team, we're obviously part of this Tree Ratna Sangha, you know, with practitioners as much as fundraisers. And so we've been reflecting on how we've been affected through all of this. And we were talking quite openly in the fundraising team about feelings around loneliness and isolation through the lockdowns. We were owning up to feelings of fear around death. You know, as Buddhists, we work with the idea of death, but we've really been working with the idea of death this last year. Nobody could escape that. We've all got our own stories of either getting COVID or people that we know having COVID. And that we've got in common with people right around the world through our Sangha. And we've also been talking about not getting lost in our own problems and actually the perspective that being in touch with people from right around the world, the perspective that can bring to our lives. 
going back to earlier what you were saying about why you want to join the Buddhist order and the sort of sense of connection with people who you may have nothing in common with or not much in common with culturally, but you take each other seriously, you take your aspirations seriously, you support each other. In terms of our order, just being touched by email after email after email from India where somebody in the order or Mitra has died of COVID mm. and seeing these faces, some of which I knew from big gatherings in India I've attended, some of which I didn't know, but in a way, the culture of our particular community being that you take your bonds of friendship with those people really seriously. And here you are finding out about life and death on a daily basis. Even afterwards, when we've had large gatherings online of order members, I'm sort of aware of their absence. They're not part of that. And it's up to us to hold the memory of it. So it's very alive, isn't it, for people that they are bound up in all sorts of ways with folk who are touched by this. It seems a good thing for a team like yours to be turning your minds to. What do people need in relationship to their grief and their loneliness? Yeah, I mean, some of the people that run our projects, they are friends. I was really struck by Modi City talking about his work running online retreats and having to stop virtually every day to make announcements of people who died that were attending the retreat. You know, him just talking about handling that, how to do that. Yeah. I'd just like to pick up on what you were saying at the end there, Liz, as well, about, well, the sort of dharmic perspective that we can bring. I know, I remember when COVID first hit, one of the comments that was coming from some of our senior members of the order was, this is the same reality we've always been part of, but in this case, we're all getting a shared dose of it. You know, the reality of impermanence of, well, just the suffering inherent in having a physical body and COVID being a sort of universal experience around the world, albeit that, as you were just saying, in India, the facilities being worse, the chance of death was higher, the fear of death being universal. And that sort of being a uniting thing, potentially, in the sense of we, whatever our lives, can feel a sense of commonality with humanity all around the world. And for those of us, as we were saying earlier on, who were lucky enough to feel part of this movement, and if you're listening to this podcast, you are part of this movement, because here we are. That's a great boon. It takes us out of that sense of isolation and loneliness, which, well, according to the Buddha, is the core reason for suffering, that we feel separate and isolated from other life, and that being a delusion, that actually we're part of all life. There's just this pure, luminous mind, in a sense, which is shared and which is underlying this falsity or this fiction of being a separate and uniquely suffering individual. So I think that's potentially the boon of what we've gone through the last 18 months, and of course, there'll be the next crisis. I think we've already seen a revival, at least in Britain, of interest in climate change. And that then becomes, in a way, a shared problem. Again, another global problem, not a local problem that we don't want to be alone with. We want to join with others to do something about that. So I think that's something that can come out of this crisis in the positive, that even as COVID becomes COVID normal, actually, the sort of international sangha and community that we've developed as a result of COVID can continue to develop for our own individual benefit, but also, of course, for the benefit of others, including those not involved in Buddhism yet. One of the things that Amla Vajra and I were talking about yesterday was this thing of loneliness. And I think it's the experience of loneliness. And then if we go deeply into that enough, we end up with a sense of spiritual aloneness. I think what I mean by that is the sense of being separate and not connected with anyone else or anything else, that deep, deep connection that we all really want underneath it all. One of the ways that I think of spiritual life is actually dying to that sense of aloneness and being reborn into Sangha, being reborn into community. I feel like that's such a theme in my life. 
allowing myself to be moved much more by deep intimacy, really recognizing that deep intimacy is what I need, what other people need. And I think the way this connects to future dharma is that, well, one of the ways I think of my role at future dharma, so I'm finance director, and I often think of my role as like plumbing. So making, well, in the first instance, money flow better through our community. But I think really money is just sort of standing in for a deeper connection. It's a very beautiful image, that idea of being reborn into community. And it's quite an interesting shift to move to plumbing. (laughs) If you want to open up the opportunity for other people to have that same sense of renewed life through intimacy and connection, what it needs is people to take a bigger view and see how does this work? Where does the energy flow? Where does the love flow? Where does the money flow? I'm aware that with you, you're not just thinking about this in the abstract, obviously. You're not just thinking about it in terms of what you've done before. You're also planning very practically for the future your next wave of campaigns, your vision of how you're going to take Future Dharma's work forward. And that has a very practical plumbing-like element to it, but it also has a deeply mythic element. Maybe going back to the very start where Amala Vajra, you're evoking looking at this beautiful figure on your wall and connecting to why you do what you do. I know that perspective is also part of your plumbing. as where collectively, your collective building work, you're looking after the conditions for the arising of something beautiful and intimate and connected in the world. So it'd be really good to hear about what your plans are for 2022 and where you see this great collective project going. Yeah, well, here's another Buddhist image, another Bodhisattva for you, who is Avalokiteshvara, the thousand-armed Avalokiteshvara, another Bodhisattva of compassion, and in a way, the sort of most prominent Bodhisattva of compassion in Buddhism. And this particular form has a thousand arms, and in each hand is a different implement to help beings. And this is the image for the tree rat in the Buddhist order, with the idea that each hand is the altruistic work of an order member. And Sangharachita, our founder, said something very mysterious. I don't know if this is an exact quote, but he said that we could think of the thousand arm Avakateshra as the symbol of the order, even literally the order. <laughs> so let's stick with symbol, perhaps. So that's the symbol for the order. And when we look at our next phase, we're thinking, okay, how can we help the tree and order and the movement, everyone involved in it, to be a real channel for that altruistic wish, what we call the bodhicitta? And each of those tools and each of those hands is going to be different and especially post-COVID different to anything we did before. How do we support that? So yeah, when we look ahead to next year, we want to raise at least a million pounds in the next couple of years to facilitate and make happen, make possible all sorts of new projects around the world to pass on the three jewels. That's just a little teaser because we're not going to launch that until the spring. I know Liz is going to say something about our more immediate work building up to that, but that's our vision and that's our image. And our hope is that, you know, if a thousand people give or raise a thousand pounds, that's the million pounds. So you can probably see why we're thinking of calling it the thousand thousands appeal. And that's a decent sum. A million quid's a decent sum. For a lot of people, it's not a lot of money, but for us, it would be a lot of money to make a real difference. I was downtown this morning and they're selling off classic cars. And I thought, oh, I'll have a look. Let's have a look at the catalogue. And what I learned is I really can't afford to buy a classic car. You're going to need 50 or 100,000 pounds just to buy some old heap of metal made 40 years ago. To me, this seems like a much better use of a million quid to spread the dom around the world and to have 10 cars like that sitting in a garage somewhere. Anyway, that's an aside. <laughs> that's a little bit about the vision for next year. Raise a million pounds, the thousand thousand campaign to keep spreading the dharma in new and innovative ways around the world for the benefit of the world. 
Well, I've been working on putting this campaign together that we're going to be running with you guys with the Buddhist Centre Online. And even this morning, I was going through finding some of the great stories we've covered, you know, this last 18 months, literally trawling through our Vimeo account and my old news stories on our website. And it was amazing, actually. We've worked at such speed over the last 18 months. I don't think our feet have touched the ground. And I started off this morning thinking, oh, I don't know what we're going to cover. And then I hit the opposite problem, which is there are so many wonderful projects out there, you know. A lot of what we've done in the last 18 months has been about speed and reacting and responding to an emergency. We've provided emergency funding to some of the Indian retreat centres. We've joined forces with India Dharma Trust to make us more effective and efficient. And obviously, the ordination teams haven't been fundraising for themselves over the last 18 months. They've been busy supplying emergency food and supplies to people. So we've been raising money to support the ordination team so they can carry out their work. I think it's right and proper all the emergency work we've done. But well, basically, we've built up such amazing work this last 18 months, although our supporters have made that possible. But we can't keep going at that pace. We're facing having to potentially dismantle or reduce some of those projects. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to backpedal. So what I want to do in this campaign is really celebrate everything we've managed to do as a community and encourage people to be proud of what we've got and keep it going. I thought, Liz, you put it really well. We have responded at speed to what true Atlas Buddhist centers and teams and groups have needed. And in a sense, we kind of borrowed against the future to do that. We just said, yes, 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 yes. And now, maybe a bit like some governments around the world that have done the same thing, we're now like, ah, right, now we need to pay for this. But also, as Liz was saying, we really want to carry this work on, that the Buddhist Centre Online Dharma Chakra can carry on with their incredible activities, that yeah, our friends in India can carry on with their work. So it's almost like the furlough programme has ended, but we want to keep this work going. Yeah, that does mean raising some money. We've borrowed against the future, and now we need to raise some money. So that's why we want to raise £50,000. We need to raise £50,000 by the end of this year. Dani Tar could tell you that. She's our finance director. And these next two weeks on the Buddhist Centre Online launching now are really crucial to that. So we're really hoping that maybe some of the people listening to this podcast, one of you listening to this podcast over the next week or two, might give to ensure that Truratna can still stay successful online, just like we've been for the last 18 months. I think one of the things that's important for Future Dharma to make sure is that we are resourcing for the future. One little trend that we've noticed is in the pandemic, we got asked for small amounts of money, you know, centers needing cameras, microphones, things like that, so that they could get online. But I think now what we're trying to see is that we're more able to think big. So the requests to fund bigger projects, uh, major grants, are starting to roll in. You know, people have done the pandemic pivot. Now it's time to grasp the opportunities. And I really want Future Dharma to be able to do that, to continue to respond. And I think we all want that. You know, we all want the Dharma to flourish wherever it can. I just really want to encourage people to give and um, support Future Dharma. And really what that means is just supporting fellow Dharma farers around the world. Well, I guess I'm just really struck by the fact, and I don't know if this is the correct term, whether it's a slogan or a strap line or whatever it is, but what's on a lot of Future Dharma publications is this idea of the world needs what you've been given, pass it on. And for me, there's something about that that really evokes gratitude. And I suppose in a way... Maybe it really just connects in with what, for me, Sangha is about or what motivates us in Sangha, generosity and gratitude. 
when I think about the benefits I've received and how much was people giving their time and energy freely, there was no money involved. You know, study groups that I've been involved throughout the years, just spending time with people and then getting to a certain point where I want to give back from gratitude because I feel like I've been given so much. That's me on my individual level. And I guess the evocations that you've all brought there and Liz talking about the different projects around our global Sangha, I just hear that on just a very large scale, you know, generosity and gratitude, that you're just part of that, you know, part of enabling that and reminding us actually in some ways of how much we've been given and how much the world needs this. Gratitude seems a great place to start and to finish with this podcast. We've all been given so much, particularly, I suppose, during the last 18 months, 20 months. But as Amal pointed out, this is the reality we actually are living in all the time. If you're listening to this podcast, you may already be familiar with Future Dharma's work in general or with what you see as an institution. Hopefully what you're going to hear over the next couple of weeks is just how much life is behind the scenes with that project, how much they contribute to our community, to the world at large, and in a way how crucial Future Dharma's work is to the future of all of our vision for what a different community can be, you know, what it can be to live in the world, making different choices, connecting rather than polarizing, choosing intimacy rather than separation. All of that is what Future Dharma helps make happen. I'm personally very delighted that we're going to get a focus on that work, not just emergency mode, but as part of the creative flowering of people living Dharma lives. So please do give to Future Dharma's campaign now in the future. In a way, see yourself as part of the change. It's amazing that we have a team of people who are holding all of the finicky responsibilities and duties around setting up the conditions for change, whether it's Danny Utah plumbing the systems so that the money flows, or Liz telling the stories, or Amal Devadra constantly renewing his own connection to a vision. We definitely shouldn't take for granted that there are people who will do this for us to build a better future. So please support Future Dharma. And yeah, just thanks to you, Danny Utah and Liz, for coming today and bringing this to life, sharing your stories, giving your voices to the need. Well, thanks very much, Chandra Dasa, for having us. And Dasi, nice to see you again. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. It's been fun. Thanks to you, particularly Amal Vadra, because I suppose you've been one of the people carrying the vision for this just from, you know, a glint in your own eye years ago. It's been a delight to watch you turn it into living beings. Like that idea has manifested in the world as living beings raising money for amazing projects that actually do change the world. So thanks to you for taking part in the conversation. And when people hear great stories from Future Dharma over the next couple of weeks, that's a lot to do with you and your vision, your love. Oh, well, that's very gracious of you to say that. I'm just delighted to be able to do work I love and be part of this great community. And this podcast is a good example of that. You know, this is the kind of thing we get to live all the time. So lucky us. But thank you very much. Yeah, and it's been great being here. Thank you. And thanks to you too, Sadai Sahi, as ever, for helping hold the space, helping hold the conversation. Thanks all around. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just, I guess, keep up the good work to Future Dharma Team and look forward to working with you online again. Great. Well, thanks again for just turning up today and helping us start to tell the next phase of our story collectively, where we're all going as a community. If you hear some of this and you just want to give immediately, which of course we recommend, futuredharma.org forward slash give is your friend. It's the best way just to respond with your heart. Just to go and give something, you'll feel better. It will do some good. Putting your stake in the ground with that act is important. That's how we'll make the future of our community. That's how we'll impact the world. So futuredharma.org forward slash give. 
And over the next couple of weeks, thanks to Liz and Danny Uta and Amala Vadra and the whole team, you're going to hear some of the best of what Future Dharma has been up to. And those stories will work their magic and just be part of the ongoing record of who we are as a community and how we are working together in strange times, beautifully and creatively. Thanks for listening, as ever, and we'll see you again on the next episode of the Buddhist Center podcast. For now, take care. <laughs>